You're listening to the Trinity Ministries podcast. For more information and to support our ministry, go to www.trinityhudson.org. What happened or what didn't happen or what should have happened? And it's interesting to think about how you and I take the measure of our lives, the scorecard, the scoreboard that we place on our life, what it is that gives us a sense of meaning and worth and value in the perspective that we have on, on who we are and, and our life, on where we've been, where we're at, and where we're going. And there's different ways that we, we kind of score that or measure that in our lives. For some of us, when we think about our lives, the, the sense of worth that we have is, is based in our, our desire to have a successful life through our, our accomplishments or our status, the way that other people look at us, the way that we look at our achievements over the course of our life. And for some of us, our, our sense of worth or our sense of value is, uh, is found in trying to live a good life, trying to have as much fun as we can, trying to enjoy life to the, to the most, trying to, to minimize the pain or the, the difficult moments and, and have as much fun or just to, to, to have as much of a pleasant experience through the days of our life as we can. For some of us, the, the pursuit is to be a good person, is the, the way that we choose to live our life, the moral or the ethical structure that we put on our life and, and sort of the legacy that we leave behind in how we choose to live. And for some of us, it's, it's even found in, in ministry and in doing things for God and, and in, in that connection that we have. However it is that when we come together today that you measure your life, the sense of meaning and value that you have for yourself, Jesus speaks to us clearly in passage that we're going to reflect on today from John chapter 15 and, and speaks into to this question of how we measure our life. And he gives us a, a new set of uh, a new scoreboard, a new way of measuring out that sense of meaning and value. Here at Trinity, we are in this series called Disciple, trying to understand what it means to live with purpose in a confusing world, what it means for us to live faithfully as God's people, what it means to live as a follower of Christ in the 21st century. And the reality is that there are these two really significant moments in your life story, in your existence. I mean, there's more than two, obviously, but but two that are really significant is there is this moment where you were saved, where a person becomes a Christian. Maybe it was as as an adult, maybe it was as a child, maybe it was as an infant, maybe it was when you were baptized but that moment where that relationship with God began. And then there's this other moment where you are going to enter into paradise. You are going to be heaven. You're going to meet Jesus face to face. You're going to enjoy all of the, the, the comfort and the celebration of that moment. The question for us to consider now here as a church and as followers of Christ, for those of you who are Christians, is to ask the question, what do we do in the space between those moments? What's the point of our life in the, the gap between, in the space between those moments when you were saved and when you experienced the totality of salvation in heaven? Well, that's what this pursuit is all about, this pursuit of discipleship, of living a life, uh, the life of a follower of Christ. And today, as we reflect on this passage from John chapter 15, it, it speaks to us very clearly in, in how we perceive our lives and how we 
see ourselves, the scoreboard we keep for our life. And it gives us this challenge and this opportunity and to, to live lives and to be people who align our life and our values and our desires with Christ and his values and his desires. And when we're able to understand what Jesus is saying to us in this passage in John 15, it, it can actually be uh, quite transformative. It may seem underwhelming at first in the words that we hear him say to us, but, but ultimately, if we are able to get this right and get this in order, what he's actually saying to us, it can lead us on a path that leads towards peace and satisfaction and maybe even a new way forward in how you, you measure your life, the meaning and the value of it. And so to set the stage for us before we get into these words in John chapter 15, it's important to understand that this is a really significant moment in Jesus' life. See, what Jesus is going to say today to us happens just mere hours before he's betrayed and arrested by his enemies, before he suffers and dies on the cross. And so there's a sense of urgency in what Jesus shares. He's, he's, he's huddled together with his closest friends, with his first disciples, the first followers of Christ. And the message that he shares with them is one of these, after I'm gone, here's what you need to know kind of a messages. This is what you need to know because I'm not going to be here forever. I'm not going to be here standing right next to you teaching you. You need to, to hear what I'm saying now, not only because it matters right now, but it's going to matter after I'm gone. And so it's in that context that Jesus shares these words with his followers and with you and I today. John chapter 15, verse 5. Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in them will bear much fruit. I'm the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in them will bear much fruit. And it may not seem like a really dramatic image. It may seem kind of ordinary or, or you know, why is Jesus talking about vines and branches right before he dies? But this is an important image for us to consider because it's within the context of this idea of a vine and branches that Jesus really does help us understand and help us see what is at the, the core of the Christian life, at the core of, of being a follower of Christ. That, that to, to have this relationship with a vine and its branches means living a life that is, that is totally dependent and connected with Christ, with his will and his heart and his desires for us and for the world, that we live out of that, that will and that desire. John, who wrote this, this gospel, this account of Jesus's life, was one of Jesus's closest friends. And one of the main themes, one of the main concepts that comes up over and over again throughout his gospel is the idea of a relationship. The relationship that exists between God and himself, God the Father, God the Son, Jesus Christ, and God the Holy Spirit. And also the relationship between God and us, people, the followers of Christ. And I think that it is so important for us to understand the type of relationship that John talks about, that Jesus talks about throughout his, his life. See, for a lot of us, when we think of Christianity, we think of it within the context of religion. We think of Christianity like any other religion. And the way that religion usually works is when we think of a relationship between God and people, it's more like our role is that of servants or employees. That there are certain things that we have to do. 
There are certain jobs, different duties and obligations that we have to accomplish so that we can get paid, so that we don't get fired. In the case of our relationship with God, so that we can go to heaven and so that we don't go to hell. But Christianity is a a totally different relationship. It's nothing like religion. It's not a servant-employee relationship with a master. Instead, it's the relationship like you'd see in a family. A family relationship where it's marked less by duty and obligation and more by warmth and intimacy and care. And I think that that understanding this concept and the significance of the idea of this family relationship that God is calling us into, it starts with understanding this. It's one of those things that that when we say it, people just kind of, they brush it off because it's what we tell kids in preschool. But maybe we should think about it like this, that it's one of these things that is so important that we tell it to kids in preschool. And it's this. God loves you. God loves you. Now, I know some of you are thinking, come on, I should have mowed the lawn this morning. I knew I should have slept in. This is what we're going to be doing? No, but it's true. God loves you. And I know what you're thinking. There are people in your life, there are people in your family where you're like, yeah, I love them. But it's really like you just put up with them, right? Well, God doesn't just love you. He doesn't just put up with you. He likes you. He wants to to live in a relationship with you. He wants to spend time with you. You matter to God. David Benner writes this about the, the idea of God and his love for us and how it starts with creation. He says that creation is an outpouring of love, an overflow from the heavens to earth. Creation not only declares the inventiveness and the resourcefulness of God, but reveals the abundance of his love. Creation declares that humans are born of love and for love, created in the image of a God who is love. Love is our source, and love is to be our fulfillment. Made in God's image, humans are invested with a non-negotiable dignity. Now, if that's true, and it is, then Christianity, living as a disciple, as a follower of Christ, is not a job. It's not another duty. It's not another obligation for our lives. Instead, it is a relationship, a family relationship with the living God. It's not just doing a bunch of stuff for God or knowing a bunch of stuff about God and about the Bible. Although I will say that for some of you, the challenges that you're facing right now in life may be in part due to the fact that you don't know that stuff. You don't know what the Bible says about God or about you. Or, or the warnings of things to avoid, or the commands, or the promises that God makes to you. And so you feel like you're, you're living in the storm and you're thrown around because you don't know that stuff. But for others of you, maybe the problem is that you know that stuff. You know what the Bible says about God and about you and its promises and warnings, but you have no connection between that and your actual life today. That you live with this disconnect. That your relationship with God is about information and knowledge and not about transformation. That it's, it's knowing stuff, but it's not really about experiencing and growing deeper in your relationship with Christ, which is what we're called to be about, what Jesus is talking about in this relationship where we abide, where we remain, where we stay put, where we stay connected with him, about being people who are transformed by him. 
Last week, we talked about these internal and external, these personal and communal aspects of our relationship with God and how those strengthen us and and help us to stay connected. We have these internal and personal aspects of our relationship with God, things like reading the Bible and prayer, which are not about uh, doing things so that God will love us, but they're about listening to God, about living in a healthy, functional relationship with Him. What is one of the marks of dysfunctional relationships? You don't listen to each other. And so for us to live in this healthy and to cultivate this healthy relationship with God, it's these internal aspects like, like the reading the Bible and prayer that help flesh that out. And then we have these external and communal aspects of our relationship with God as well, like worship and generosity and being connected with others in small groups and Bible studies and missions and serving others. And these, again, aren't duties and obligations to get God to to love us and to to get us to heaven one day, but they're more about aligning every single aspect of our life with God, with His desire, with His will, shaping our life around God's desire for us. And when we put these together, these internal and external components, we see what authentic spirituality really looks like, what authentic Christianity is all about, about being connected and growing deeper in our relationship with Christ and also with one another. This idea of living in a relationship where where Christ is the vine and you and I are the branches, that we stay put in him and that he remains in us and that out of that we bear fruit. And it's right after Jesus says that that he helps us to understand why this matters, why this is so significant for our life for our life right now here on earth. Seeing ourselves in this image, in this relationship of God between a vine and the branch, a living relationship with him. He says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Stay put in me. I'll stay put in you. You'll bear much fruit. And then he says this, apart from me, you can do nothing. Apart from me, you can do nothing. That's a strong phrase. That is a strong phrase for Jesus to use. And it may seem almost insulting, like, really, Jesus? You're going to say that? And, and it kind of sounds wrong, doesn't it? Because if you just think about, the, about human existence, there's a lot of people who are not Christians who have accomplished a lot of really good things. And there's a lot of good things that have happened outside of the church. So what's Jesus saying here? That that you can do nothing. Well, he's not saying that outside of a relationship with Christ that that you can't do anything, that you physically can't do anything. That's not what he's saying here. You can accomplish all sorts of things. But what he is saying is that it is possible for us, it is possible for us to live all sorts of ways where in the totality of our existence, they lead us down a path that is ultimately hollow and futile and empty. That it's possible to live a life outside of a living relationship with God that's, that's kind of like building sandcastles on the beach. It's a nice way to spend the afternoon, but in, in the long run, it's not going to last. And for a lot of us, we build our lives, we, we have the scorecard and the sense of meaning and value in our life based on being a successful person, 
which there's nothing wrong with being successful, but when that's the thing that gives you a sense of value, in the long run, none of it lasts. In the long run, it, it, it will fall apart. It will fade away over time. That, that when we try and build our life on, on being a successful person, it's, in the end, it's kind of like in The Lion King. You guys remember that movie? Good movie, right? And Mufasa is explaining to Simba about the circle of life. And he says, well, Simba, here's, here's the way it works. One day, we all die, and we go into the ground, and we become for, food for the worms, and the worms feed the grass, and the grass feeds the zebra, and then we eat the zebra, and we're all part of the circle of life. Isn't that a wonderful, warm thought? No, it's not. I'll tell you that right now. It is not a wonderful, warm thought that you and everyone you love, someday your life will be gone. And there's nothing more after that. And that all that we amount to is zebra food. I'll tell you what, I have spent a lot of time, I mean a lot of time at Como Zoo. I'll go to the free zoo anytime. And I got a lot of kids who like that too. And I spent a lot of time with the zebras. I'll tell you what, they smell bad and they would not appreciate you not even as food. So in the long run, in the totality of existence, if there's nothing wrong with a successful life, but when that's what gives you a sense of meaning and value, eventually it fades away. Eventually it's gone. Eventually it evaporates. Or if the goal of your life is to live a good life, if that's where your scorecard is, if that gives you a sense of meaning and value for your life, well, that's okay. There's nothing wrong with living a good life. But what happens when the bad starts to outweigh the good? What happens when you get sick? What happens when the people around you, the people that you love, start to get sick? When the pain outweighs the good, when the money's not there, when you lose your job, when, when things start to go wrong, when it, the good life isn't so good anymore, ultimately it becomes unbearable. Life becomes unbearable and meaningless. Or what if your goal in life is to be a good person? It's to live a life that, that, that leaves a legacy behind you in, uh, in some group of people, or maybe it's in your family and, and investing in your children and grandchildren. And look, there is nothing wrong with that. We need to be a people who are investing in children and grandchildren and the legacy that we leave behind. But if that becomes the sense of meaning and value, if that's a scorecard for your life, what, what happens what happens if your family ends up being a bunch of jerks? Come on, that was funny. You guys should have laughed. I'm not saying they are. Oh, no, not your family, their family. No. But, if, but seriously, if that's where you get your sense of value from, what happens when things don't work out in your family? Or, or, or God forbid, what if things do work out and your children or your grandchildren go through their lives succeeding, but under this incredible weight and burden of living up to your expectations for their lives? Or if you devote your life to some cause that, that in 50 years, the, the, the changing culture and tides of life make that seem unnecessary or unimportant anymore. It's possible to, to build our life on all sorts of things other than God. But here is just as dangerous, and I'm going to say this right now. If you are a Christian who is here today, one of the most dangerous things that we can do is to start to build our life, to get a sense of meaning and value by doing good things for God. Where our relationship with God is defined by us, by our morality, 
by our involvement and investment in church and in ministry. Let me say this. It is possible for us to live lives where you are religiously active and spiritually empty. To outside, on the outside, look, look healthy and vibrant, but on the inside to be withering away. To make our relationship with God defined by, by who we are and how we live our lives. And there's all sorts of ways that we can build our lives. There's all sorts of ways that we can build our lives that are ultimately hollow and futile and empty and, and that don't last. Whether it's trying to be successful or good in life. So how do we change that? How do we find a, a, a new way forward? How do we find a, a sense of meaning and value and worth for our life that isn't hollow, that isn't empty, that ultimately won't crush us? How do we start to move into a real relationship with Christ? And, and if we did, especially for those of you who are skeptical about that, about Christianity, even if we started to do that, if we went through that, what would it really change? How would it really start to change us and how we live and, uh, and the sense of meaning and value we have in life? Well, I think it starts with understanding, first and foremost, the incredible sacrificial love of God for us. It starts with understanding this relationship that, that, not, that not about what we do for God, but about what God does for us. See, in the New Testament, Jesus talks about this relationship and this dynamic of, of a vine and branches. And in the Old Testament, there's also talk about vines as well. Particularly in Isaiah chapter 5, there's this description where the people of Israel are like a vine. And, and God warns them and, and challenges them and says, look, if you aren't going to stay put, if you're not going to remain, if you're not going to abide, if you're not going to stick with me in this, if you're not going to live connected with me, then look, I'm going I'm to pull you out I'm going to throw you into the fire. You're going to be rejected. You're going out. Adios. And in the same way, you and I deserve that same fate. Whether it's trying to, to live a life where we reject God out of a sense of apathy or indifference, or even if we try and do good to earn God's uh, affection or his approval, regardless of how we try and live our lives, it's never good enough. That because of this root issue of sin in us, we continue to be disconnected from God and to live outside of this relationship with him. And Jesus even warns and says, if anyone doesn't abide in me, he's thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into a fire, and burned. So we deserve to suffer that fate because of the brokenness in us, because of our sin, because of the way that we try and live life and the sense of meaning and value that we get outside of Christ. But here's the thing. Here's the thing that's so significant to remember. That instead of that fate befalling us, instead that is exactly what happened to Jesus Christ. See, it's important to know that throughout his life, Christ lived exactly the way that we are told that we ought to live. That he lived connected in this, this personal, intimate relationship with the Father. That he obeyed him perfectly and that it sent him all the way to the cross to his suffering, and to his death. That he got the, the punishment that you and I deserve, that he was torn out. He was the root of Jesse, torn out, ripped out, and thrown into the fires of judgment and of hell itself. 
for our sake, so that now, as a result of that punishment that he took on himself, we can now be brought in. That we can be connected to God and loved and forgiven. Not because we're lovely or worthy or perfect or deserving, but because Christ is worthy and lovely and perfect and deserving. That he took our place so that we could have his. So that as a result of that, you and I could now move from lives of self-reliance to utter dependence on God. What I mean by that is this. We can move from lives of self-reliance, where our scorecard for our life, where our meaning and value in life is found in, in a successful life or a good life or being a good person or, or following the rules and doing things for God, to moving to a life of utter dependence on God, where our sense of meaning and value isn't found in what we do, but in the love that God has poured out into us and the forgiveness that we've received. And when that happens, it starts to change everything for us. It really does. It starts to change the way that we see ourselves and the way that we live in a relationship with God, that we could start to be those people that Jesus describes who live in this relationship with a vine and a branch, and that out of that we begin to bear fruit. That as we remain connected, as we live less with self-reliance, doing it our way, and live, on, live this life of dependence on God and his love for us, when we stop rejecting God or trying to do stuff for God, but instead simply be loved by God and accept that love and forgiveness, then, then less and less we, we start to pour out of us insecurity and bitterness and worry and anxiety. And increasingly, as we live connected with Christ, like a vine and the branches, we pour out of us this, this combination that the Bible describes as this combination of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control poured out of us into our relationships with the people around us. We become less and less focused and defined by things like our career or our relationships or money or our status or even our morals and our good behavior. And we become more focused on the fact that we are beloved, beloved children of God. We begin to live increasingly with integrity and compassion and faith in our daily lives. And then even when we fail to do that, when we fall back into these patterns of our, our old bad behaviors or our old mindsets and way of living, Christ continues to love us and he continues to forgive us and he continues to accept us. And so that instead of, of giving us a plan for how to live a successful life, instead of giving us a plan for how to live a good life or even how to be a good person, instead, Jesus Christ came to give us a vision to help us to see how he loves us, what it means to live as his disciples, not to do for God, but to receive this love of God, to live like a branch. The, the vine does the work and, and grows in and spreads that love out of us into the world around us. And when you get this, when you get this, it changes everything. I mean, it changes everything in your life, in your mindset. It gives you a new scorecard, a new sense of meaning and value for your life, and it changes the way that you think and the way that you go through life. So that now, you stop saying all those if-only statements. You stop saying things like, if only I were more organized. If only I were a better leader. If only I hadn't messed up. If only I could stop screwing up. If only I weighed less. If only I made more money. If only I were smarter. 
And you would stop saying things like, well, because of my career, my life has meaning. Because of my relationships, my life has value. Because of my success, my life has worth. We stop saying and we stop thinking things like that. When instead the scorecard for our life is defined by the love of God for us, we start to say things like this. Even though, even though there are days where you can't get it together and you feel totally out of control, you are loved by God. Even though it seems like everyone around you is disappointed in you and in your performance, you are loved by God. Even though you feel spiritually empty, you are loved by God. Even though you live with a constant desire for affirmation and affection, you are loved by God. Even though you are traveling through life, listening to lies about yourself, the truth is you are loved by God. As we live that way, as we remain rooted and connected to Christ, living in this love that he pours out of himself to us, and then continue to live this life where we pour that same love that he's given to us into our relationships with others, into our relationships in our career and school, and our, our relationships in our family and in the church and communities and neighborhoods, we begin to live increasingly with a sense of, of peace and satisfaction with a new scorecard, a new way of measuring our sense of meaning and and value and worth for ourselves. We move from self-reliance to dependence on God, and we begin to take part in His work as well. God's work of drawing others into the kingdom of God's experience, that same love and acceptance and forgiveness. This summer, I don't know what your plans are, but I hope that you'll stay put. I mean, go wherever you want to, but stay put, remain, abide in this love that God has for you. If you're a Christian, focus less on what you're doing for God and more on being, being loved by God, being accepted, being forgiven by God. As you rest in that, as the scorecard and the scoreboard of your life, sense of meaning and worth and value transforms, may, may you be reminded over and over again that you are accepted and loved and forgiven. And may that that give you a sense of joy and peace as you go through your days, as you reflect on your past, your present, and your future. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you do love us, that you accept us, that you forgive us, that it's not about what we do for you, but it's about what you have done for us. Help us to to remain in the promise of your love for us and your acceptance of us. That as we we go through life and there's all sorts of pressures and burdens that we put on ourselves and that other people put on us, help us to think less and less if only or because and much more even though to remind ourselves that we are loved. That out of that assurance of your love for us, it would transform our relationships. That where those relationships are fracturing or breaking or where we may be separating and pulling apart from one another in, in families or in community or, or whatever those relationships may be, that it would pull us back together, that we would have your peace and your hope in us, that a sense of contentment would fill our hearts as we think about ourselves, and that out of that we would pour your love into our relationships with one another. Lord, help us to rest, to be with you, and to be loved by you. 
Help us to experience and to see that for ourselves. Lord, be with us today and always. In your name we pray. Amen.